Welcome to Podcast Abbreviated. In this episode, Tim and I break down last week's abbreviation of Dr. Gabor Mate on The Tim Ferriss Show. Dr. Mate has a unique theory on the root of addictions. He talks about how trauma in childhood affects our lives as adults. Now, Tim and I are not counselors, we're not therapists, we don't have any training in psychology. So this episode is just our understandings of how Dr. Mate's message has affected our own lives. Nothing we say here should be construed as advice. This is just a conversation between two friends trying to break down this revolutionary idea. This was a longer conversation than most. So in the spirit of abbreviation, we cut this episode into two parts. This is part one, and stick around next week for part two. Without further ado, we hope you enjoy part one of Tim and I's discussion of Dr. Gabor Mate's theory on addiction, childhood trauma, authenticity versus attachment, and recovery. Hello, and welcome to Podcast Abbreviated, where we break down the best podcasts into short episodes so you can discover new hosts and new podcasts and simply get to the best stuff faster. Welcome, everyone, to Podcast Abbreviated. I'm Chris. And I'm Tim. This episode, Gabor Mate explains his theory on addictions. And it is completely different than anything I had ever heard. Chris and I have spent a lot of time extracting the nuggets of wisdom from this podcast. And so in this episode, we're going to be discussing it, asking each other questions, and trying to get to the heart of what is important about this and why we made it the way we made it. An addiction is a complex which manifests in any behavior that a person enjoys, finds relief in, and therefore craves in the short term, but suffers negative consequences in the long term and doesn't give up despite the negative consequences. Now, notice I said nothing about substances. I said any behavior. So in other words, the addiction is not the primary problem. It's an attempt to solve a problem. And then the real question is, how did the problem arise? When you ask people, what does the addiction do for you? They'll say, it numbs me, it soothes the pain, it makes me feel connected with other people, it gives me a sense of control, it gives me inner peace. Well, the lack of inner peace, the lack of control, the lack of connection, they're all forms of emotional pain. Then my question is, where did you develop the pain? What happened? This is where my theory is that it's always rooted in childhood trauma and that the addiction is an attempt to deal with the effects of childhood trauma, which it does temporarily, while it creates even more problems in the long term. So previously, when I had thought of an addiction, what I had been thinking of is a behavior that somebody engages when to escape the present moment. You feel uncomfortable for some reason and an addiction is something that soothes you. What did you think of addiction before hearing this episode and how did that change your understanding of addiction? Yeah, it is something that soothes you and Dr. Gabor Mate would ascribe to that. But my understanding was is that it soothes you because I have a predilection for that specific addiction. So if I had a addiction to alcohol, it's well, either A, because my parents exhibited that behavior and blazed that path for me, or B, my DNA was more prone to become addicted to that substance. And then different substances would affect different people. And so if you're the type of person who has that DNA and you just live in your life and you stumble across that substance, it's going to be a problem for you. And it has this inevitability component to where you have to either be on or off of it. So if you have a predilection for it, you cannot get near this substance. And this 
theory turns addictions, the definition and the source of addictions on its head. Yeah, what I think about is like alcoholism, right? A lot of people say, oh, I'm predisposed to alcoholism. It runs in my family. That means I don't drink. Or I have a relative who is addicted to another substance. I need to be careful with that substance. Are you saying that this episode turns that on its head or negates that previous understanding? Or does it kind of add on to it and kind of helps us more fully understand addiction? Well, you might have to be careful around that substance, but the answer of why that is the case gets turned on its head. And so from the episode and from Dr. Gabor Mate's mouth, his theory is that the reason why something like alcohol is a problem is because of traumatic events experienced in childhood. Now, it all comes down to childhood. It all comes down to childhood. We've all had one of those. Well, and that's the heart of this episode is that the more I thought about it, the more it made me reflect on my own past. And that's not something that I am encouraged to do. That's not something that in life I have to confront on a day-to-day basis. This is something that it's not comfortable doing, but just thinking about, well, were there instances in my past growing up where my attachment was threatened with my parents? Are there situations where I felt overwhelmed and had to disconnect from my body? Well, the answer is yes. Okay, so that happened to me. I know that. The question is now, what were the effects of that? Right. And one of the things he says in the episode right on that point that's really profound is that trauma is not what happened to you. It's what happens inside of you. And so when you're thinking of these times in your childhood, mine as well, when I was faced with something I didn't understand, something that was so hard for a child brain to process or understand different people react different ways, right? Some people shut down, some people lash out, but we all react some way. And it seems like what happens inside of us in those moments creates a lasting effect. So when you were making this podcast abbreviated episode and and cutting it down, and we got to that part, what is it that you understand that happens inside of you? What does he mean by that? Yeah. So like you said, there are multiple reactions that you can have to an event like that, but the core of it and the circumstances actually are the same. And he beautifully asked the question, what would happen if I became abusive to you right now? So just really just take a second, think in your mind, if another adult that you either know or don't know comes into the room and starts screaming in your face and starts yelling at you. Well, as an adult, you have agency. So what are you going to do? You're not going to let that happen. You're not going to just sit there and get abused. You're going to respond forcefully enough to get them to stop. Now, or you might try to placate them, right? I mean, if somebody is acting aggressively towards you and you recognize they might have a misunderstanding, you're capable enough to see that to say, hey, let me try to diffuse the situation as quickly as possible. But what you're saying is, as a child, maybe you don't know that yet. We don't know how to diffuse situations, let alone that you can diffuse the situation. So Exactly. And we will get to that. The only mechanism for diffusing the situation potentially can be sacrificing your authenticity for that attachment. But we'll get to that in a second. So you're right. Your agency as an adult, you have multiple ways to respond. So another way he mentions is you can just leave the situation, like you just exit. And then another situation is you can get people to help you out. But when you're a child, and think back to your own childhood. I mean, think back to an event that was stressful for you, that was anxiety-producing, that scared you. I mean, I can't imagine there's not a child out there, there's not a person who can't think back on their childhood, they can't think of a situation where they were frightened. And when you're frightened as a child, you do not have the agency to 
stop that situation from happening. You don't have the agency to leave the situation a lot of times, and you don't have the agency to be able to get somebody to garner help in that situation. So the question is, when you're out of options, what do you do? When you're out of options, how does your brain protect you? And it protects you by disconnecting, by creating a barrier from that extreme stress in the reality in your mind. And that actually helps you in those moments. That helps prevent your cortisol levels from spiking so high that it starts to make you panic. It's a defense mechanism that is good at the time for you as a child. It's the only thing you can do. But in the long term, once you become an adult and gain that agency, why would you need to do that? And the question is, is do you still do that? So, yes, I can think of experiences like that. So something happened inside of me. My body went into a defense mode. A lot of people know of the fight or flight mechanism inside of us. But this is another one of those defense mechanisms, I imagine. And so how does that connect to addiction? So what? Well, so what is think of the times that you feel compelled to gravitate towards that addiction. And that addiction, as he mentions very early on, does not have to do with substances. It could be getting on your phone. If something's stressful in your life, if you are feeling anxious about the future, do you go straight to your phone? Sure. Are there apps on your phone that you go Absolutely. straight to? And, and I get that, but I'm still not sure I understand this connection. Like, okay, so I was a child, I withdrew. Okay, now I'm an adult and I pick up my phone and use Facebook a lot. I don't understand. How did those two connect? So everyone's going to encounter stressful situations as, as an adult. The question is, is, do you want to resolve that or do you want to run away? Do you want to confront it or do you want to distract yourself and disassociate just like you were doing as a child? It's like a practice. So you're saying that because as a child, that was our only option, we're kind of path dependent as adults, right? We've practiced that a lot. So you're saying that our childlike impulses kick in and that an addiction is us going back and <laughs> reverting to that childhood, almost automatic response. Well, I'll, that's one way to put it. And the other way I put it is that you just carried that practice with you as you grew up. So you're used to it. It works for you as a kid. And then maybe as a teenager, you use it. And then maybe as a 20-year-old, you use it. And then as a 30-year-old, you use it. But the question is, is why are you still using it when you can now can grow? Okay, we, because now we are smarter. We have experience. Agency. We are, you know, adult. We have big, bigger bodies, too. So we could, like, you know, possibly push somebody back if they were to confront us, you know, defend ourselves, defend others. So you're saying... Problem solve. Yeah. You know. so, so, so addiction, though... It seems like it's like when we repeat a behavior and we're unable to stop doing a behavior, right? Like, or, or at least that's how I kind of think of something that's defined as addictive, like cigarette smoking or something. It's like I get a need inside of me and the only way to make that, you know, stop is to smoke a cigarette. Is it like addictions start because of this or is it addictions continue because of the childhood trauma? Does that make sense? Or is that yeah, even a I, I think Gabor Mate would say that they continue. Mm. And so that you have this learned practice so that when a situation that you could face, that you could problem solve, that you could address with your new skills occurs, or when you have that same feeling, you're going to seek relief. So his definition of addiction is that you don't stop in the long term despite the negative consequences. So as an adult who has critical thinking skills, 
you weigh in one hand, well, yeah, that was great because it relieved the stress immediately. But then on the other hand, you're saying, well, this is becoming a problem because I am not the, the sober person that I want to be. And even if that negative reaction outweighs the immediate stress relief, the small stress relief you have, you still do it. That doesn't make sense. And so it's not congruent with what you want. And so you're doing something you don't even want to do. And that's kind of because you're being led by this behavior you, le you learned as a child. Okay. So that does make sense to me. Let me see if I understand it. You're a kid. You don't have the capabilities to handle the situation. So you detach as you get older, when other similar situations that create a similar emotional reaction occur, you, instead of detaching now, because as adults, it seems less likely to detach. You reach for something that will help you handle that uncomfortable feeling. Or help you detach. Or escape. help you detach. True. Good point. So like you drink a ton, right, to detach or or whatever. Or use Facebook a ton and, and look at other people's lives so you're detached from your own life, right? It isn't just substances, which I know we've said a couple of times, but it's like any kind of behavior. So it could be going on an exercise, right? You know, you go on a long run, get the runners high, you're focused on something else. So you're not dealing with your problem. And then that problem persists. So... Okay, so that's how these addictions happen. They're continuing. What does that have to do with the theme in the video about halfway through where we have Mate talking about how when you have to choose between authenticity or attachment, that authenticity is what gets sacrificed. And, and as I understand it, it has to do with something like this. We all as children must attach. We're born into the world with a need to attach. As babies, our eyes are looking at the eyes of our caregiver, trying to keep them attached to us. And a remarkable amount of intelligence is present in a young life from what I've heard from parents like yourself and others, where they can almost read the situation to keep you attached. As you get older, that's still there. A human being has two fundamental needs apart from the physical needs in infancy, in childhood. One is for attachment. Now, attachment is the closeness and proximity with another human being for the sake of being looked after or for the sake of looking after the other. Now, human beings as mammals are creatures of attachment. We have to connect and attach because otherwise we don't survive. But we have another need, which is authenticity. Now, authenticity out of the self means being connected to ourselves, just knowing what we feel and being able to act on it. That means our gut feelings. But what happens if your authenticity threatens your attachment relationships. For example, as a two-year-old, you get angry because you didn't get that cookie before dinner. But your parents can't handle anger because they grew up in homes when there was rageaholism and they're terrified at the very expression of anger. So they give you the message that good little kids don't get angry. The message you receive is not that good little kids don't get angry, but that angry little kids don't get loved. Because your parents are now sullen, they won't look at you, they talk to you in a harsh way. You're not experiencing love at that moment. But you've got to stay attached. Guess what you're going to suppress? The authenticity every time. And this is how we lose connection to ourselves and to our gut feelings. So that, strangely enough, that very dynamic, which is essential for human survival in a natural setting, not becomes a threat to our survival in this more modern setting, where to stay authentic is to threaten attachment. So inevitably, a caregiver is going to run into their own problems, their own issues. They're adults too, and they have their own lives. And so at times, they react poorly towards you. They either don't give you attention, or they yell at you, or they do something that you don't understand. And so you receive a message at that time that something's wrong, that, that you're not doing something good. 
and you have to choose, do I either change my behavior to keep them attached to me, which is to sacrifice my authenticity, do something that I would not otherwise do, or do I sacrifice the attachment and say, screw it, this person's not attached to me anymore, whatever. And it's not a choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even a choice. Okay. Because uh, attachment means survival. Right. And as mammals, we've evolved to survive. And because we have this long period of time that is required to raise a child, if the caregiver abandons the child, it dies. And so children who can attach survive better. And so that's a mechanism that's evolving in mammals and makes it so it's not even a choice. It's definitely not a conscious choice. But if you're going to take either A, survival, or B, your authenticity, you choose survival every time. Yeah. So you stay attached. You do things you wouldn't otherwise do. Or, or you manufacture behaviors. Maybe you learn to speak a certain way, or you start whining, or you feign injury to get attention, or you do something to bring back that desperate need for attention. I, for one, as a child, was desperately afraid of being left behind by my parents. I thought that they were going to leave me. I had a huge fear of loss. So I was in, I grew up in Venezuela and my parents raised me there, despite the fact that I'm an American. And I remember being in, man, like preschool and elementary school. And I remember if they were even like 15 minutes late to pick me up, I would freak out. I had this image that they had left me. And I don't know where that came from, but for years, despite knowing that my parents were going to be there, I felt like they were going to leave me. And they often tell the story of showing up to the school and I was in the principal's office crying my eyes out thinking that they had left me permanently. So I can see how that's an example of my need to be attached and a fear of loss of attachment and just desperate fear of like, hey, they're not there for me. So well, I might have sacrificed some things there. As a parent, you look at that type of behavior and a lot of times you rationalize it or you minimize the impact of that because you mm -hmm. look at that and you say, oh, no, you know, Tim, right. he got so... Uh, he, and you even tell the story and it's embarrassing because as a parent, it's like, oh, this tiny little thing. But to you in that moment, it, it you can't even describe how much it meant. And as you grow older, you actually forget mm -hmm. how serious that not just feeling was, but reality was, mm -hmm. is that if your parents did leave you, you would die. And you knew that at a fundamental level. And you don't might not even recognize where that came from. And that might not have come from a traumatic event itself, where maybe you were left behind at the gas station and your parents came back, like that classic example. But it could have just been different, minor, tiny things that happened over the course of your life that you notice that there's a precarious situation. And that if they happen to leave, if they happen to not come back, and for whatever reason that is in your reality, that's a potential possibility, you're sensitive to that and then you're going to react to that confirmation that you're expecting. Even though your parents would never do that, even though they're never planning on doing it, as a child, you're taking in stimuli, you're absorbing events that they're not seeing at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is real. Like even in this conversation, that example just came up. I for, kind of forgot about how big of a deal that was, but it, for real, it, it was. So I guess I'm asking next, another theme he talks about is the idea that the loss of self is the essence of trauma. So I think that that's connected here because we are talking about times when you sacrifice your authenticity, you're losing yourself. And over the course of your life, you're withdrawing, 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 and you're, or you're repressing, repressing, repressing these needs or these authentic expressions in order to keep the attachment. And then once you no longer need to be attached, once you no longer have that same need, 
all of a sudden, when it's time to flourish, when it's time to be your full self, when it's time to trust your gut, lean into what you're good at, go for the gold, you know, do the thing, be the performer, whatever it is, it's not there for you. We hope you enjoyed part one of Tim and I's breakdown of Dr. Gabor Mate on The Tim Ferriss Show. Stick around next week for part two, where Tim and I discuss our own journeys of reconnecting with our authentic selves and doing so by looking at our younger selves with compassion and understanding. We'll see you then.